that one first. <laughs> and then this one. How's that? Can everyone hear me? Yes? Good. Hmm. I think I think most of you are familiar with the um, the the five hindrances what's referred to as the five hindrances. And for those of you who may not be so familiar with it, um, the five hindrances are basically the, the mind states that show in the first couple of days of a retreat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, first one is um, the, uh, the translation from the Pali is sloth and torpor. <laughs> So it refers to um, the combination of dullness, tiredness, and laziness. <laughs> and the second is restlessness. And the third is um, the wanting mind, the mind that wants something, you know, wanting different food, wanting a softer zafu, wanting more space, wanting warmer weather, wanting, 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 wanting. Uh, and the fourth is the mind of aversion. Don't like this, don't like that. <laughs> and the fifth is doubt. So um, is there anyone who hasn't experienced in the first two days of this retreat? I would say at least two of those. <laughs> Probably most of us have experienced all five of them to varying degrees. The, um, the fifth one, doubt, is uh, is often the most difficult, and and it, it sometimes it sometimes appears actually it appears fairly often in the question of why am I doing this, why am I meditating, why am I here, and um, and and the Buddha had a, a very simple answer for that, and I think it's it's really useful to remember this when um, when he was asked what is it. What is it that you teach? What's this all about? He said, I teach dukkha and the ending of dukkha. And again, I, th- I know most of you are at least somewhat familiar with this word dukkha, um, but um, I think it's, um, it's worth exploring and kind of unpacking a little bit. Um, it's a word that's most commonly translated as suffering. And um, so the Buddha said, I teach about suffering and the ending of suffering. So when, when this doubt comes, when this question comes, what am I doing here? I think it can be really helpful just to remember that this is what it's about. Or if you start to get all confused and caught up in, well, there's this and there's that, and the instructions say do this, and the instructions say do that, and, and I don't know what to do. If you can just remember, well, wait a minute, it's about... It's about knowing dukkha and the ending of dukkha. And often that can just kind of ground it a little bit and, and simplify it a little bit and make it more clear what, what, the, what the intention is, what's the underlying intention. So this word dukkha, <laughs> um, I'm sure I've looked it up at some point in the, in the Pali English Dictionary, but I, I looked it up just just before I came here now. And, um, and the first thing it says is, there's, there is no word in English that, that covers the extent of the meaning in Pali. 
And, and this is exactly the reason why, personally, I don't like to translate it. I tend to use the word dukkha rather than translate it as suffering. Um, and, and, the, and then it goes on and it, and it explains that most words in English either they can't and uh, there's no single word that can capture the breadth of meaning of it and the words that try to capture it for the most part are too strong or too extreme and they don't give a sense of the, the subtleties the very, the, very, the very subtle depths and breadths of, of dukkha and so some some of the words that are used to translate it are suffering, um, dissatisfaction, unsatisfactoriness, um, angst, um, existential angst. Um, my mind is <laughs> very foggy. Um, so yeah, so the, the, these words despair. Is a, is a word that's sometimes used. And, and the, the dictionary also points out that, that dukkha has both physical and mental qualities. And it points out how most of the words that are commonly used either are physical or mental. And there's, there's not much that brings the two together. And of course, in, in the teachings, in, in the Dharma, mind-body are very much interconnected. And, and it's, it's quite inaccurate to, to separate the two, which is what the English language tends to do. So the, um, the, the current, um, the, the kind of, the word that's kind of currently in vogue for translating dukkha is stress. And, and I, think, I think that stress is getting a little bit closer it's still not really capturing. It's a little closer because I think I think we can all kind of get that stress has a whole range of degrees. You know, we can we can be aware of the great stresses, but we can also we can also recognize stress in more in more subtle ways, more more subtle degrees of, of stress. You know, sometimes we just have a flare up of dissatisfaction and it just lasts an instant and it's gone. And we wouldn't call that suffering. But we could see it as, as stress. Um, so um, so I find I find to to get an understanding of what dukkha actually means, I find it helpful to look at how the Buddha described stress, not how uh, described dukkha, not how he tried to translate it. But, but how he how he describes it, and um, in in his in his very first discourse, he he talks about dukkha and the ending of dukkha, and he says um, the um, the he doesn't start with this, but he gives the more common kind of expressions or examples of dukkha. He says, union with what is displeasing is dukkha. Say, union with what is displeasing. So getting what we don't like. Something happens to us that we don't like. We have some experience that we don't like, some body sensation that we don't like, some thought that we don't like. Someone says something that we don't like. 
Um, we hear a sound that we don't like. All of these are examples of dukkha, of getting something. Something comes to us that we don't like. And the, the key in this for dukkha, and, and, and the, the really critical piece of this to get, is that it's not the thing that we get that's dukkha. It's the not liking. The not liking is is the critical is the critical piece. In that not liking, our tendency is to try to push it away, avoid it, suppress it, get rid of it. This is the dukkha. This this reaction is the dukkha. Um, union with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is dukkha. So separation, so so feeling separate from something that is pleasing or something that we like. So the separation, we, we, we feel the separation in something. There's, there's something that I want to have or want to get and I can't get it. So separation in that sense, there's separation in the sense of I had something that brought me great pleasure that I really liked, and I've lost it. It's gone. So there's there's separation, and 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 I think we can we can probably all recognize that these two these two effects happen to varying degrees. There are there are things that we lose, and you know, and maybe just for a moment is ah. Oh, or you know, or you drop a cup and it shatters, and oh, that was my favorite cup. In that moment, there's dukkha, even if it passes quickly, and 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 it's oh, it's okay, I've got another cup. <laughs> that in that that moment of ah, oh, that was my favorite cup. That's that's dukkha. That that sense of that sense of losing something, and being dissatisfied because of it. And again, it's it's not about the object, it's about the wanting to get, wanting to have it because I believe it will bring me great pleasure, or the the dissatisfaction I feel in the loss of it. Okay, so union with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. So the separation, the loss, and not to get what one wants is dukkha. Okay, so those those three those three kind of categories or those three instances where we experience where we commonly experience dukkha. Okay, what he starts with the way he starts is. Um, birth is dukkha. Birth is dukkha. And we can look at it from the perspective of, yes, there's, there's pain in, in the process of birth. There's, um, there's separation. There's, um, yeah, there's, there's the whole process of leading up to giving birth and to being born. In that we can see, we could say that there's there's dukkha, but I think it's also helpful 
to um, to look at to consider what the Buddha means here by the word birth, and what's what's translated as birth. The Pali word in the dictionary, the definition is renewed existence or re-becoming. And I think this is this is an important an important translation, an important meaning to to consider because it has implications not just in the context of of the actual physical being born, but it has importance in the context of how we keep re-becoming from one moment to the next. So we're constantly being reborn. And I'll go into this more in more depth later, a little bit later this evening. Um, how how we're constantly being reborn from moment to moment to moment. And so this 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 renewal of existence, this re-becoming is dukkha. Aging is dukkha. Aging is dukkha. And I think I think we all have experience of that. Um, especially those of us who are aging <laughs> or who are aged. <laughs> uh, you know, we we see it physically, we feel it mentally in, in different ways. Um, yeah, so aging, aging is dukkha. And again, it's, it's a, a whole range of degrees. So some days, some days we feel our aging in a way that we would say, oh, this is miserable. This is, you know, I really don't like this. This is rotten. <laughs> and other days we can be aware of the aging, but it's, it's so subtle or so, yeah, it's so, it's so subtle that it's not, it's not felt as a as a problem. Okay, but the Buddha says aging is dukkha. Illness, illness is dukkha. Illness is dukkha. So illness, um, most of the time, I think for most of us, illness is is getting what we don't like. Something happens to the body mind. There's a, a certain condition of body mind, and generally we we don't like it. Um, death is dukkha. Death is dukkha. And I think, um, yeah, especially in our in our culture, there, there's so much anxiety, fear, concern around around dying and death. And and um, yeah, so so death. Death is dukkha. We the, in, in our culture, there's a there's a tendency to resist death. You know, taking it to the extreme is these people who um, have their bodies frozen in time, and with the expectation that at some point medicine will be able to revive them and cure whatever their disease is, and they'll keep on living. You know, in all the ways that we try to to cover up our aging and 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 all the ways that we that we avoid that we avoid death um, or or at least avoid thinking about death and the buddha the buddha recommended contemplating death and how often do we do that 
So birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, illness is dukkha, and death is dukkha. So all these all these different aspects of life, all these different experiences of life in which dukkha shows itself. And then the Buddha goes on, um, actually before I go on to the next one, the next bit, um, we'll just see, I want to see what, what the Buddha had to say about, about all of these. Um, where is it now? Um, what is aging and death? What is the origin of aging and death? What is the cessation of aging and death? And what is the way leading to the cessation of aging and death? The aging of beings, the aging. So this is how the, how the, Buddha, how the Buddha pictures aging. Old age, <coughs> brokenness of teeth, grayness of hair, wrinkling of skin, decline of life, and weakness of faculties. This is called aging. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so if we, when we, when we look at aging in this, in this way, I think we can see that aging isn't so much about numbers of years. It's not about how old are you. It's more, it's more about the quality of life. It's more about the state of body-mind. And, and we can see that some people live, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, into 100s um, with, um, with good faculties, with good skin, with um, good teeth. <laughs> and then we see other people, you know, very young. You see people sometimes... You see a picture of someone who may be like in their 40s and you look at that picture and wow, this person looks certainly older than me. <laughs> so, so we see that, there's the, that the, the, the aging process, the aging process, the, the, the aged state of body-mind is not necessarily tied to number of years. And I think I think that's an important thing to remember. Also, uh, it kind of puts our immortality in a context that we we just don't know how 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 fortunate we are to have lived this long and be able to function the way that we do. So aging, and um, what is death? Uh, Passing away, disillusion, disappearance, dying, completion of time, dissolution of the aggregates. And I'll come back to aggregates later. Laying down of the body. This is called death. I I like these these phrases, completion of time. Your time is up. <laughs> and laying down of the body. So this is this is this is death. 
and um, yeah, and 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 generally when we think about it, death, I think for the most part, it's not it's not such an appealing thing, <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's, it's not so appealing. So we tend to not give a lot of thought to it, and we tend to live on the assumption that we're not going to die. We live on an underlying assumption that we're going to continue living. And, 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 and we, live on, we live with this assumption with other people too. Even when someone we know is in the dying process, it seems like when the death actually happens, it's a surprise. It's a shock. we keep expecting life to go on longer than it does. And in that, in that expectation, there's dukkha. In that, in that not giving attention to, in, in that denial, in that, that putting off, there's dukkha. The resistance just to thinking about dukkha, of dying, let alone the resistance to dying itself. This is dukkha. So birth, aging, sickness, and death as dukkha, and and it, um, it 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 gives a context for this retreat. So the Buddha said, "I teach about dukkha and the ending of dukkha." And so, if we want to really understand dukkha, to explore dukkha, then it seems to me that it's rather important to explore aging, sickness, and death and to really, to really open to it. And if we want to know the ending of dukkha, then it really requires a very thorough understanding of aging, sickness, and death. And to understand something, we have to give it attention. We have to pay attention to it. We have to open to it, allow ourselves to really feel it. So birth, aging, sickness, death, um, union with what is displeasing, separation from what is pleasing, not to get what one wants. And then he, um, he makes a statement which I think is is the most the most important statement he says in brief so to sum up to sum up all of these so to to tie all of these together all these these different forms of dukkha these different ways that dukkha shows the different ways that we experience dukkha to tie it all together in brief or in summary he says the five aggregates fueled by clinging Dukkha. And to me, this is a really key, really key sentence. And, and remember, this is this is in his very first discourse. His, his first discourse. He's really gone right to the heart of the teachings, and right to the to the essence. What's what's really important to give attention to? In brief, the five aggregates subject. To or fueled by clinging, are are dukkha. So, the the five the five aggregates, the five aggregates, and um, it's aggregates. This word aggregates is a, a 
funny word. Um, what it what it what it actually means is the the constituent elements. Okay, so the five constituent elements fueled by clinging. Okay, constituent elements of what? Who is it that is born, that ages, that gets sick, and that dies? Me. (laughs) Me. So the five aggregates, the constituent elements of of me. So the 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 factors, the elements, the components that make up what I refer to as me, as Norman. These are and, and the Buddha the Buddha identified five very specific constituent elements. And so these are referred to as the five aggregates, the five components, the five elements that make up me. And um, and the first the first of these is the body. And most of you are familiar with this, but I I just find it so important. It's so important to to keep talking about reflecting on, meditating on, giving attention to the to the aggregates, um, we can be familiar with it, but we don't, and we might get it as a concept, but we don't really get it as how it's how it how it how it's me and the implications the implications of these aggregates, and recognizing and knowing myself as these aggregates, and this is what's what's really really key. So the first aggregate is the body the body the body the form and so in the meditation we're giving we're giving attention to body giving attention to form and and we give attention we give primary attention so much attention and and the buddha really emphasized mindfulness of body over mind even though the mind is much more Fascinating, much more appealing. Um, yeah, the Buddha emphasized body over and over and over again, and we give attention to body because it's 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 the form that we identify with as me. I identify when I look in the mirror. There's a, there's a, there's an old um, a story of. Um, some of you, I'm sure, have heard this story, uh, Mullen Nasruddin. So this is a, a fictional, a fictional character, and um, and he goes into the bank to cash a check, and the teller says, um, "You need some identification." And Mullen Nasruddin says, "Well, you know, it's my check, it's my name on it." Good just cash my check. And he said, no, we need some identification. We need proof that, that you are you. And, um, and he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a mirror. And he looks at the mirror and says, see, that's me. <laughs> and so, so we, can, we, can, we can see ourselves as, as images. <laughs> and we do have images of ourselves. Even without the mirror, we have we have images of ourselves, and and the image may be denying the aging that's taken place. <laughs> but um, 
But to 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 understand this self in the context of aggregates gives a very different. It, it brings about a very different relationship to self, and um, we'll go we'll go more into that. So so the first aggregate is is body, and so in the meditation we give attention to the body, and the reason we give attention to body is to understand it. As we as we mentioned as was mentioned the 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 two main reasons for the meditation are to cultivate calmness and insight. So we we give attention to the body to get us out of the mind. You know we're really good at being with the mind. We're really good at examining the mind. We're really good at figuring out things with the mind. We've had lots and lots and lots of practice with that. We're very skillful with it. We're not so skillful at just resting in the body and allowing the mind, not trying to make the mind quiet, but allowing the mind to kind of play itself out a little bit and get a little bit of quietness and calmness of mind. And we do that by bringing attention to the body. This is one of the ways we do it. We bring attention to the body so that we're not continually feeding the mind. Okay, so we, we give attention to the body and we give attention to the body for the calming and we give attention to body for insight to really understand what's the nature of body. What is the nature of body? And 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 we can see, we can see um, certainly in long term by looking at a series of photographs of ourselves taken over years and even during a meditation, we can feel the body changes. One minute the pain is here, next minute the pain is here. One minute I can sit for hours and hours. An hour later, I'm just fidgeting and restless and full of pain and can't sit still at all. The body keeps changing. And we, we can experience that change. And 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 this is this is this is this is really important because as the, as the buddha says the five aggregates fueled by clinging the more clearly we feel experience and know this changing nature of body the less likely we are to hold on to an idea of how the body is how it should be what it's like there's less tendency to cling to an image of how the body should be, and and I think um, I think a, a large part of, of illness of the the dukkha in illness is that we cling to an image of how the body should be, and when it when it moves away from that image, whether it's through aging or through illness. We're dissatisfied. It should be like this. And there's resistance and there's struggle because it's not meeting our image. And the meditation, the meditation is saying, open to the body just as it is. And so we open to the pleasure, we open to the pain, we open to the neutral, we open to the changing nature of body. OK, 
Okay, so the the body, the form. The second, the second. There's there's a, there's a traditional order to the aggregates, and I change the order. <laughs> um, so so we have a body, and part of the body, part of. Uh, Actually, I found one discourse where the Buddha gives the order the same order that I give it. <laughs> Almost everywhere else, he gives a different order. But, um, so, because we have body, we have sense doors. We have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, and thinking. And it's through these, through these sense doors, this is our way of connecting with and contacting with the world around us, and with the inner life as well. We see it, we hear it, we smell it, we taste it, we touch it, and we think about it. And so through these sense doors, we, we, we connect with the world. And the second, the second aggregate in the order that I give is consciousness. So we have an eye... And there's things out there. And I, I sit and I open my eyes. And that object strikes the eye. And they're seeing. The object is seen. The seeing arises. And consciousness is just the bare fact of that seeing. The bare fact of seeing. Okay? And consciousness is just the bare fact of hearing. Just, just the fact that when a, a vibration hits the ear, there's hearing. Okay? And similarly with smelling. At lunchtime or tea time, dinner time, you put the food in your mouth, and just from the fact of that food touching the tongue, there's a tasting that happens. Okay, and touching, the touch sensation happens, and thinking happens. Have you noticed that today, how often thinking happens? <laughs> and have you noticed how, how often and how in almost every instance of thinking happening, it wasn't because you wanted it to happen or you made it happen? In fact, more often, it's when you don't want it to happen <laughs> or when you try to make it not happen. The thinking, thinking arises. And if you, if you give attention to, to any of these, these contacts, you can, we, can, we can see that, we can, we can recognize and know that if the eyes are open and the eyes are functioning, when there's an object there, the seeing happens. I don't do anything to make it happen. The consciousness arises because of that, that contact, that coming together of the subject, the, the, set, the sense door and the object. Because of their coming together, the seeing happens, the consciousness arises. It's just a, a natural process. It's not that I do it. And similarly with hearing, vibration hits the ear. If the ear is functioning, whether 
whether a young ear or an old ear with a hearing aid, if it's functioning, hearing happens. You don't have to do anything to make it happen. It's just a natural process. And similarly, with all of the sense doors. They're all natural processes. And, and to, to, just, just to get this, forget about the other aggregates, <laughs> just to really get this and to really understand it's not me doing it. Just transforms the whole relationship to me. It's not to say that there's no me. There is a me here. There's a body-mind here. But it's not me doing it. Okay, so consciousness, consciousness arises dependent on that, dependent on that coming together. Out of consciousness, out of consciousness comes some other aggregates. One of them is feeling. It's translated as feeling. The Pali word is Vedana. And what what the Buddha means here by feeling is it's it's not about emotions, which is how we generally use feeling. It's 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 about the quality of the experience. And there are three feelings, three feeling tones, three qualities. Every experience we have, whether it's through the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the mouth, or through thinking about, either it's pleasant, or it's unpleasant, or it's neutral. And these three are what the Buddha means by Vedana, by feeling. The quality of pleasant, the quality of unpleasant, the quality of neutral. So whenever we make contact, whenever consciousness arises, that experience... That, that moment is experienced as either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Okay? Along with it, along with it is the next Vedana, the, um, the, the fourth Vedana, and, and we give them in an order, but they're all so interconnected that it's, it's very difficult. It takes a tremendous degree of of calmness and clarity and stillness to be able to distinguish these. The, the, the next, the fourth aggregate is what's, what the Buddha referred to as perception. And perception, perception is the, 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 the mind quality of perceiving, of perceiving an object. It's, it's, the, it's the aspect of mind that sees the microphone or sees Angela or the bench. So it, it, out, of that, out of that coming together, okay, so, the, so the object and the sense door, the consciousness has arisen, the feeling has arisen, and the Vedna has arisen, and the perception has arisen because of a coming together. But then perception picks out the object and perceives a thing. 
Okay? And to a very large extent, perception is based on memory. So perception is very much determined by the past. So from memory, perception is able to, as well as perceive the object, it's able to name it. So perception perceives an object, an object that's separate from everything around it. And it gives it a name. And the last, um, there's another piece of perception I'll come to. The last, the last aggregate is mental formations. And mental formations is all the stories that start up. Oh, that bench, it's, it's made of wood, it's been sitting there. How come there's nobody sitting on it? There was someone sitting there before. And what happened to that person? Who made that bench? What kind of wood is that? Somebody did a beautiful job of all, all the stories that start up about the object. That's the mental formations. And again, I don't do that. <laughs> it's just the mind, the mind just does its job. The mind does what it's supposed to do. The mind, the mind, um, it's like the mind suddenly wakes up Monday morning and goes to work. <laughs> Okay, so the other piece of perception is that in the process of separating the object and naming it and locating it out there, what's happening in a, a little bit more subtle way, what's happening is that perception is also making a me who sees that object or who hears that sound or who tastes that food. So the object is out there and perception sees me. So perception kind of puts all the aggregates together. And in putting them all together, it creates me. It creates an image of me and it creates it in a way that it really seems to be real. (laughs) It seems to be solid. Here I am. And yet, if we look at any of these aggregates, we see that the aggregates themselves are constantly changing. The body is changing. Certainly, we can see the mind keeps changing. Changes from moment to moment. One thought after another, different thoughts. After another, after another, after another. Different opinions. Different beliefs. Different concepts. Believing something, disbelieving something. Mind just so hard for the mind to come to rest. It just likes to be busy. It's changing, and all the aggregates are changing. And and if we see, if I can see me as 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 aggregates rather than as a solid me, then I see that who I am is constantly changing. So, in a moment of seeing Carrie, me is the one who's appearing in relation to Carrie. I hear somebody yawn. (laughs) In that moment, me is the one who exists in relation to that sound. 
Okay, I feel um, just a little itch in my ankle. <laughs> in that moment, who I am is this this combining of aggregates, this coming together of aggregates in relation to that itch. From moment to moment to moment to moment, who I am is changing. And we try, we try to, we try to control that because we like stability. We like predictability. We like reliability. And so we try to control it. And in that trying to control it, there's a clinging. And that clinging, that clinging fuels what happens. The five aggregates become fueled by the clinging. And so through the clinging, we keep re-becoming, re-becoming. I, me, keeps re-becoming. I keep being born from moment to moment to moment to moment. And because I'm born, I age. Because I'm born, I get sick. Because I'm born, I die. Moment to moment to moment. I'm dying and being born. Dying and being born. Dying and being born. But but I cling to this sense of me in an attempt to give permanence. That's dukkha. It's dukkha. It's fighting against the nature of things. It's fighting against the nature of impermanence. And so in summary, in brief, to sum up all the all these different types of dukkha, what underlies it all is this clinging to me, this attempt to solidify me and give continuity to me. And the, the, the more clearly we can understand that and understand it not intellectually, and this is where the meditation comes in, because the meditation is... Is, is opening to the actual experience. And when we get it through our action, we all know the difference between understanding something intellectually and understanding it through direct experience. The more we understand it through actual experience, the more we understand this I, this I is mental construction. Nothing to cling to, nothing to get, nowhere to go. Just this, just this. So, five aggregates fueled by clinging. And, um, and 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 what this what, what this is all pointing to is is is, um, is an exploration of of this underlying question of this the existential question who am I who am I what am I 
And really the meditation is an exploration of that question. And it's, it's an exploration which hopefully gives rise to a very deep and profound experiential understanding and knowing that allows for, that allows a releasing. A releasing. Not a releasing that's something I do, but just a releasing from understanding that by not releasing, there's dukkha. The clinging, the clinging is the dukkha. So using, using the really using the meditation, really using the meditation, and using this time and this, the, the, wonderful, the wonderful supports we have here, this wonderful facility and the, and the, the sangha and all the conditions that we have here, to use this time to really explore this, this, this self, this experiential self. And, 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 and through experience, come to truly understand and know dukkha and the ending of dukkha. So let's uh, sit quietly for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.